What if the Len Bias story hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan is the Ringer's latest narrative podcast? You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car, or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope you're checking out the Ringerverse podcast. They are reacting in real time to this Loki show that dropped that uh, Mallory's going to come and explain to us later. We have good podcasts. We have... Big Waz coming right off tonight's playoff games, as well as Mallory Rubin talking quickly about the 12-game playoff and then just explaining why somebody like me should watch Loki because I don't know what's going on in the Marvel Universe. And then finally, our guy Peter Schrager, who hasn't been on for a while. He's one of the hosts of Flying Coach, which is doing season two right now with him and Sean McVay talking all kinds of coaches. So he's going to come on. We're going to talk about... Uh, Football stuff, including are there some good gambling opportunities out there? Oh, yeah, gambling. It's all coming up first. Pro Jam. All right, we're taping this late. It is 10.04 p.m. Pacific time. Wazzy Lambry is here. Big Waz. Um, what up, awake? BS? Yes, yes. I'm, aw- I'm awake. That was an exciting game, Bill, that we just watched between the Clippers and the Jazz. Yeah, so we're going to talk Clippers-Jazz first, and then we'll go into the Nets-Bucks game, which was the weirdest playoff game in 2021. Utah Clips, Mitchell, 37. His last 13 games... He's averaging almost 35 a game in the playoffs. His last 13 playoff games with over 50, 45, 90, all the, all the splits and stuff. And it's funny, Dwayne Wade bought a piece of the Jazz 
Because mm-hmm. when you watch Mitchell, there's a lot of Wade 2.0 yeah. stuff going on. No Mike Conley tonight. He got to do right. his whole on the show thing. Then the Clips tried to adjust. They tried to shut it down. Utah made 23s and they win. But the Mitchell Wade thing, I was thinking about it a lot today. Uh, what do you say? What do you think of that comparison? You know, I think it's an apt comparison, but the difference is that while D. Wade was a guy who would live at the free throw line, which is I thought what Donovan Mitchell would progress to, but instead he's gotten his efficiency better by just becoming a knockdown pull-up three-point shooter, right? Like in the first quarter, he's coming off of screens completely clean and just rising and firing, and it's pure. It's not even touching the rim. Uh, D. Wade obviously was never that level of shooter, but yeah, he combines the ability to dribble past some of the best players in the world, world, which is like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, et cetera, et cetera, with a pure jump shot. I never thought he would be able to get his jump shot to this level, but you can't leave this dude open. I agree. And th- the reason the Wade thing is interesting is Wade comes up, he's in the 2003 draft, comes to prominence in the 05 season, second year, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. rides through, wins the title in his third year. And he's like a 28-a-game guy at that point, getting in the line a lot. But... They weren't shooting threes like that back then, you know, right. and, and your priorities when you were a guard in the 2000s were you're trying to get to the basket, you're just trying to get good shots. And then you saw Kobe and T-Mac guys like that try to add the three. T-Mac always had it, but Wade just never added it. And it was, as you look at the second half of his career, it's mm-hmm. why the first half of his career was so much better than the second half of his career. Mitchell was somebody that I always thought was just going to be like a feast or famine three-point shooter. Mm. It, it seems like something has shifted with that, where I'm starting to think it's going in when he's shooting it. I didn't always feel that way. I always felt like he was more of a heat check three guy. But now, man, if he adds this, that inside-outside game and the power and the athleticism he has, the Clippers basically had to play Beverly in the second half, even though he's a zero uh, offensively, just to try to get some sort of handle on the Mitchell thing. But uh, yeah, I think... The evolutionary Wade thing, which I, you know, people have been talking about that for two years. You're really feeling it. And the thing is, if he's evolutionary Wade, if that's like in motion right now, that changes what I think about their ceiling as a title team, right? Because you think like, well, they don't have the superstar. Stars win titles. What happens if they play this team? What happens if they go against that team? But in your mind, I I, I hate to have the hacky sports talk conversation, but (laughs) he's not a superstar, but he's kind of more than a star now. He's right. He's like a tweener between those two worlds is where I have him now. Do you have him higher? I think he's definitely knocking on the doorstep, right? And I will say, Bill, on my maiden voyage on the BS podcast, you asked me who the players were to watch going into this postseason. And I'm just going to pat myself on the back for good bringing job by up you. Donovan Mitchell. And I will say that. But, you know, to me, the true mark of any superstar is... You see the tide flowing for another team. They get a turnover, a dunk. They make a three. All of a sudden, they got seven points in a minute and a half, and your superstar does something to stop it, whether that's Steph pulling up from 30 or KD just straight up rising and firing over anybody who's guarding him or D-Wade, like, just straight up, I'm going to get to the line right now. I'm going to stop this run by putting my head down, getting to the line. Donovan Mitchell is becoming that kind of guy where, like, the tie sort of shifts against his team, and he's like, all right, give me the ball, I'm going to make something happen. And to me, that's the truest mark of a superstar. Like, you can just stop a tidal wave by yourself. And he did that tonight. 
Yeah, Durant did that in the first game, which we're going to talk mm-hmm. about later when he hit three of the craziest shots in a row in crunch time. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, is this the best player alive right now? Right. And then, yep. and then Bruce Brown's like, Kev, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that later. But so in 06, Dwayne Wade was second team all NBA. We did not think heading into like, as he was finishing that third season, we knew that we knew the heat were good, but it still kind of felt like Shaq's team. It was like, it was kind of unclear who was Batman, who was Robin. Then the playoffs happen and Wade's just like throws it on his back. And we didn't really see it coming. We didn't expect it. We thought all these other guys were going to be in the, in the, in the title game. Kobe was killing it that year. Uh, the Suns, we were right. That was a really fun Suns team that year. And then uh, when that, and then Dirk went to a whole other level, and then Dirk became the story. It's like, oh my God, Dirk! It's just like this is the best scoring forty five since Larry Bird. Then all of a sudden, Wade was the guy, and it happened so fast, your head was spinning. It is set up for Mitchell to do that. I don't know if he has it in him, but it's set up. You think like if they get through this Clippers thing, they're in great shape now. They're up two zero. Then you go next round, playing the winner of Suns Nuggets, which is pretty. Sp- Pretty certain it's going to be the Suns. Suns, yeah, yeah. And you look at the Suns, and they'll they'll throw some dudes at him, but it's going to be a good matchup for him. You know, they'll throw some size at him, but ultimately, like Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they're not going to be able to really shut him down. They'll throw bridges at him. They'll give some Crowder. They'll try to mix things up. They'll play zones, but this is set up for him. And I think he's, I think he smells it a little bit. That's the sense I'm getting through my TV set. Yeah, uh, he has the look, Bill. The, He's like, the look. The way he, he has the look. The way he came out in the first quarter, just hyper-aggressive and was like, if I get an ounce of daylight, I'm rising and firing. Like, like there was no question that he he knew what he wanted to do, specifically because of Zubac playing mm. that extreme drop coverage. He's like, all right, Rudy's the, you know, famously Utah fans, I know, screen assists and all of that, but he is the best screener in the NBA, right? So... I know my guy's going to plant this dude, whoever's guarding me, and Zubac is going to be all the way back there. I, I have the confidence that I can make the shot, and he came out and he did that. And also, Bill, I think most importantly, it's not just that he wants to do it and that he has the talent. Is that this is not your daddy's Utah Jazz. Uh, the amount of shooting and spacing they could surround this dude with around yeah. that Rudy pick and roll is like none other. They're not going to go down this year because they made brick after brick after brick after brick like they did for so many postseasons in a row. This team can score. They put the ball in the hoop. And so the pieces fit around him. Hopefully Conley can come back and give them some modicum of a secondary creator slash ball handler so that Mitchell isn't wearing down at the ends of games because he's being completely relied upon for perimeter shot creation. I think it's just he wants it. Uh, you know, when he first came in, he was one of those guys that kind of had blinders. He wasn't much of a playmaker, but now he finds guys. I just think everything is coming together for him at at the right time. They're an interesting hybrid team, right? Because Conley's out. And with, when Conley is out, a lot of the ball movement, a lot of the stuff that makes him special, all these different little things, they just pick and rolls, they can run with him, the way the ball moves, fast break stuff. They lose that. And they kind of veer a little more toward the hero ball side, right? Whether it's Mitchell, Clarkson can come in and take over for six minutes. I think when when Conley's back, that's when you see kind of the two worlds they can live in, where they can do this beautiful ball movement thing and make 23s in a game, which they did tonight, ironically. 
But then they can also have the clear out, this guy's got this. And they have two of those guys. And and kind of two and a half, because I feel like Bogdanovich can Sometimes, channel that for like three it. minutes, mm-hmm. right? And the other yeah. thing with Bogdanovich, I don't understand it, but the rap on him, I remember we had the Wiz Celtics, that playoff series a couple years ago, uh, 2017 maybe, when they when the Wiz traded for him. And he was he's one of those guys you think is terrible on defense, but then you watch no. him, he's like, oh, he's not that bad. He tries hard. He moves then he had the moment yeah. against LeBron. You watch him mm-hmm. tonight against Kawhi Paul George, and it's like, is this guy good at defense? Like, what's yes. game ruling? What's the deal? Yes, yes. He's he's white, and he's good at perimeter defense, <laughs> Bill. Let's, <laughs> let's just say it. God damn it. He's a white boy who can stay in front of people. And, you know, I think it's important that we do talk about Utah's defense because our guy Rob Mahoney tweeted at halftime. He was like, look, this is illustrative of the kind of defense that Rudy can play even against perimeter-based teams. Mm. Like, one, they were scared shitless of going to the hoop against Rudy. We got to give him his credit for that because I, for one, was somebody who was skeptical about his ability to play a team like the Clippers, like, um, you know, a Brooklyn potentially where they got guys who can fire off the dribble from long range. And Rudy is getting out on guys. And then, of course, like, how many pump fakes did DeMarcus Cousins take today? Like, it was ridiculous. Like, it, like guys get down there and just want no parts of him. And you can see it mostly the ultimate respect that's paid Bill is when he's out the game. Paul George is just going downhill the entire time because he's like, shit, Rudy's out of here and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to the basket because otherwise I won't have an opportunity to do this. And so I got to give Rudy his props for just the level of defense that he's playing out there. I, you know, obviously, I wish he'd make a layup or two and catch the ball every now and again. This is too much, but Rudy. Yeah, I'm going to throw ridiculous. up now. This is just too much, Rudy. Go back. <laughs> you know, though, did you notice like with two and a half minutes left, three minutes left, Beverly was in there on a, he did it all. He had a, I got this drive and he drove to the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Rudy wasn't in position and he just had to do a little flip shot and he kind of hesitated. Of course. And it's like, those are the plays where it's not, doesn't count as a block, yeah. but it's kind of a block because this guy had yeah. a three foot shot that he kind of overthought and then he ended up flinging it on the gets side of the rim. Uh, now let's criticize Rudy just because it's fun to make fun of him and the jazz fans get, <laughs> get a bit out of shape. Has there ever been a worse, a, has there ever been a less entertaining player mic during a game? <laughs> They had one, I mean, one part where they just showed him and he wasn't even saying anything. They just had read six minutes, six seconds of silence. It's like, what is this? Look, look, look. I, it, it wasn't the best sound, but do we rather that than LeBron in his fake ass, like one of his first Laker games where he's like, if your brother's on the floor, you pick him up. Like, right. We got to pick a side here. Do we want guys faking the funk like LeBron or just Rudy? Like, you know, he's obviously a guy who doesn't have much to say. It was like, we've mic'd Michael Myers tonight. The killer from Halloween. He's just going to heavy breathe. Uh, I I definitely, uh, ESPN, maybe Mike somebody else next game. I, I don't know if Rudy has a lot going on. Um, yeah, it's just fun to, it's fun to tease him and make fun of him. And then the jazz fans react like soccer moms, which is also it's, great. I love that too. I, I get it. I, I get it. Because he, he, look, Rudy took some ridiculously unfair criticism when the COVID thing happened. Like, he really did. There was, there was talk about, like, should we kick this guy out the league? Like, that was actual <laughs> stuff Do they that have people to trade were him? saying. Yeah. They, they were literally blaming this guy for a global pandemic. Like, Rudy Gobert, it was ridiculous, right? The hysteria around it was ridiculous. So I understand the protection 
of Rudy Gobert. But come on, man. The guy's been kind of a ninian at times in the past. But I will say tonight, the first two games, he's been great uh, on defense. And it's what he's known for. And, you know, Bill, I don't know if you've seen this on the internet. There's a little bit of um, Rudy Gobert, future Hall of Famer talk sprinkling around the internet, just around how dominant the guy's been at defense. It's like, if he continues on this path, we're going to have no choice but to put this guy in there. Um, Your face right now is saying a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on. Let me gather my thoughts. So, I mean, the Hall of Fame, they're just letting everybody in now. It's unfortunately, it's like if you if you made a couple all star teams and played in a finals, you get to be in. That's just where we're where we're going with it. So I'm not surprised that people think he might be making it. All right. So for Gobert to be a Hall of Famer, they have to make the finals and they probably have to win. And then you can at least set up some sort of Ben Wallace situation. That would be the that would be the path. I never thought I'm I mean, when when I was putting together my pyramid for my book. Ben Wallace did not make the top 100. I'm not even sure he made honorable mention for me. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. Gobert, I think, would have to win the finals. And I'm not willing to entertain this conversation. That <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted to throw that out there for you, uh, Bill. That's all. Just, just teeing, up, teeing you up. That's all. Wait, can we talk about the clips for a second? They get, Absolutely, 50, we have to. They get 56 from Jackson, Reggie Jackson and Paul George tonight. Kawhi has 21. And then nobody else shows up. They're down. They're down 2-0. Second series in a row. Two games coming back in LA Saturday and Monday. And for some reason, I'm not scared for them yet. I didn't like some of the lineups they played. I don't really totally understand. Like once again, Terrence Mann played one. Well, minute. yeah. What's happening with that? I, I don't, don't get that. I thought we already learned our Terrence Mann. You should play like, him. Like he's good. Him. Yeah. Beverly played 21. I have no idea why Cousins played at all. He played 11 minutes. I'm not sure why he's out there. I think eventually they're going to settle into small balls the way to go, but they seem they, there was 10 Luke Kennard minutes again today. I don't really understand how they fell off the we know who our best seven guys are thing. I thought we left the Dallas series saying, all right, we got it. These are our seven guys. And now it seems like it's in flux again. Yeah, I don't understand the Terrence man of it all. Reggie Jackson erupting, making me look like a complete doofus for saying, why is Reggie Jackson just in the last series? But I think the main problem for them, Bill, is, look, they got back into the game by getting into the zone and muddying it up. But the problem with that is that Quinn Snyder is one of the best tactical coaches in the entire NBA. He's going to figure out how to beat your rinky-dink zone Yep. In game three. That's not something you're going to be able to rely upon. They're going to find open shooters. That That's not going to work. I think the main problem is like they they don't know what to do with Spider Mitchell. Uh, you know, that's, that's what scares me for them. Now, if you tell me they're going to dedicate themselves to small ball and be like, look, we're not guarding Spider anyway. Let's maximize our offensive output because... This is our the best best version of ourselves is Batum or Morris at the five. Uh, I think, and again, Ty Lue, when push comes to shove, he always goes offense first. So yep. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see them do in game three. But I'm a little worried for the Clippers because I did pick them before the series. Uh, I, I just didn't think they were going to have this much trouble with Donovan Mitchell to where, you know, halfway through a game, they're getting creamed and they're just like, all right, let's play two, three zone to switch this thing up. 
Remember when Paul George was good at defense? Yes, I do. <laughs> that was kind of his calling card in the, in the early yeah. 2010s where we were like, wow, this is for creating somebody in a lab to guard LeBron. It's him and Kawhi. This yeah. is, these Long, are the two prototypes. Feet. Yeah. Like, man, this Strong. guy's an amazing defender. And now we have two series in a row where the other team has somebody who can't be stopped and Paul George's coach never seems to go, oh, put <laughs> Paul George on him. Maybe Paul George is the answer. I guess, is he just an offensive player now? What happened? I don't want to say he's just offense because I think he's still good on help side and stuff. But these sure. jitterbug, these jitterbug kind of guys, these like, you know, super quick first step kind of guys, I don't think he's good at. I think somebody like Donovan, excuse me, like Jason Tatum, where it's like, all right, I got to I can stay in front of Bigger you dude, and I just right. have to give a great contest. Okay, cool. I'm good with that. But like keeping these little quick dudes. No, I don't think Paul George has that in him anymore. Or, you know, especially not somebody who combines the quickness with the strength that Donovan Mitchell does. I wonder who do you think their best lineup would be ultimately against this jazz team? Because I do feel I mean, the like... best lineup includes Serge Ibaka, but he's hurt. Fair. So, you know, I, I, I think because he would be the one being like, all right, Rudy, you like literally actually have to guard me out mm. to three point range. And so now my guys can get a freaking clear path to the basket. And defensively, we know what Serge Ibaka can do when he's around the rim. He doesn't have the quick feet anymore, but he's still pretty good contesting around the rim. They just don't have that right now. Um, so I think that's something that should be said. But as it stands to me, you got to go with George, with Mann, with Kawhi, with Morris, and probably Batum. Like, that's so, probably... But Reggie, but Reggie Jackson probably has to be out I there instead of Batum or Morris, right? See, I, I, I would take Morris it, out. I To me, with Morris... Is this the Celtics thing coming out? No, but Morris, you know. You know in the first hour. You know if he has it or not. He didn't have yeah, it tonight. that's fair. That's fair. And I couldn't. I was surprised he was out there in the fourth quarter instead of some of his other choices. I think they need Man against Mitchell. I think Man's actually built to guard Mitchell, and putting Beverly out there for a variety of reasons I don't like. It didn't happen tonight, but Beverly also has the capacity to get some sort of dumb flagrant foul, yeah, cre yeah. create some sort of incident. Like they, yeah. he's too much of a wild card for me in a playoff series. I don't trust him. I don't trust him to use good judgment. At least with man, he's just going to D up and, you know, do his thing. And it's not like he's like the fear, you know, coming into the season and even last season was that man couldn't be a playoff player because teams would just completely sag off of him and he'd be a zero on offense. But he's made his open shots this postseason, right? Like, sure, he hasn't historically been the best of shooters, but he's made a decent portion of shots that would, you know, legitimately warrant him getting these big playoff minutes. But I think Lou is going to, he's going to do it. He's somebody who is, if anything, he's not a Budenholzer who we'll get into um, in the next segment, but like he's going to try different stuff in game three. Um, I just worry that they, the, the Mitchell thing is giving them problems, even though he's even a little bit hobbled now. I don't think they're done. Nah, I, they're not we've done. learned in these playoffs, especially don't overreact. I think with Suns Nuggets, the Porter piece of it where Porter just hasn't looked right the whole series and it clearly physically is having issues. I think I'm not sure they could have beaten Phoenix anyway, but if Porter's not hundred percent that to me, the nuggets are a cross off because from a talent standpoint, and you know, it's funny in football, I always know better, right? If the team that looks good in round one against somebody who's not that good and you kind of know in round two, right. all right, you know, they, yeah. 
Now they're playing a real team. Like, how are they going to look? And in basketball, the Denver-Portland series, the, the reality is I don't think either of those teams were very good. They were very good, no. And, 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 I, and I agree with you. Denver, at, you know, basically, they're not full strength. They just got Will the Thrill back. And, you know, the Porter thing has to worry everybody. Like, the only reason he, they have Denver is because, as our homie John Hollinger said, he was working with Memphis at the time, he said, quote, Porter Jr. had the worst medical I've ever seen. Yeah. That's what he said. The worst medical I've ever seen. So when he's playing the way he is, and, you know, I get that the coach, Michael Malone, I guess he doesn't like to be called Mike. What's up with that, Bill? I don't, I don't understand I, that. We'll, we'll call you what we want, Mike Malone. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Malone comes out and says his back is fine. He's fine, which I think is, he's, you know, he's kind of just. If you're warming up in the heating that. pad, your back is not fine. Yeah. If you're so, before a game, you have a heating pad on the quarters, you're shooting threes, you're not fine. I have a bad that's back. A troubling, I know what it's like. That's a troubling sign for me. So your only other potential one-on-one threat, potential, by the way, one-on-one threat is hobbled. And they're just they're just loading up on Joker at this point. Yeah. Like they're just like, we're gonna let the Pizziolo Compazzo beat us from deep. And 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 um that's it. They're taking them out of the series. So yeah, the, the the Nuggets are a shell of what they were supposed to be, what we envisioned when they first did the Gordon trade, and they looked like absolute world beaters, and they, to me, were the second-best team in the West after a healthy Lakers. It's tough to watch them against Phoenix just getting buried. I talked myself into the Nuggets just because Jokic was so great. I was like, I'm like, he had reached the, oh, he'll figure it out. Right. But the thing, the thing is, the Suns have enough to throw at him that if Porter's not 100%, that's not look good. The Clips, though, I do think could come back. Yeah, they you know, I think they uh, will. They'll probably win game three. And then game four will be the showdown Monday night. We'll see what happens. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about uh, Nets Bucks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside. LDA, 21 and up. I forgot to say this to you uh, in the last segment. Quinn Snyder, you keep getting your mind right and it overcomes everything, just like you're doing. Do it on D and it'll happen on O. That was the quote of the playoffs. He said that to Mitchell. Do it on D and it'll happen on O. I was so into that. It was like a sports sports movie coach. Uh, oh, I love you. It'll happen on O, man. Uh, it's happened on O for Donovan Mitchell. So it wasn't happening on O. For the Nets or Bucks tonight, game three. Um, look, I don't think the NBA rigs games, but if they were going to rig a game, it would look something like this, <laughs> where the Nets shoot eight free throws, where they commit 22 fouls and the Bucks commit 12. Um, there was just some bizarre calls, including the last two minutes. Giannis gets blocked by Griffin and the ball hits Giannis out of bounds. No review. <laughs> and they don't even show a replay in ESPN. It's like, this is a pretty big call. The Bucks are getting the ball. Bucks uh, are getting the ball back on this, um, but the Nets blew it. They, uh, I'm just going to read you some of the stats from this game. 
Joe Harris, one for 11, played one of the worst games yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And then and then blew two defensive assignments at the end. He led uh, Middleton go back door on him when it was 83-80. Bucks cut it to one. Then Drew Holiday on that last drive, Harris is with him and then just kind of stops. And then all of a sudden, weird. Harris has a head of steam. Went, so he was terrible. Bruce Brown took 17 field goals, including the two biggest <laughs> shots of the game. That was weird. Uh, Kyrie, no field goals in the last four and a half minutes. The Bucks, the non-Giannis Middleton production was 18 points total for everybody else on the team. Drew Holiday played 46 minutes and scored nine points. The Bucks bench played 40 minutes, scored six points. Um... <laughs> And then in the last three quarters, Giannis was seven for 20 and Chris Middleton was seven for 18. And the Bucks won. What makes sense of any of that for me? It was an old school slobber knocker. Uh, it reminded me, honestly, of those old Miami Heat, New York Knicks series from the ni- late 90s, early 2000s, where the games would routinely end in the 70s. If you got a game in the mid-80s from those two teams, you were like, holy moly, like, Allie Houston must have hit a couple of threes. Yeah. Uh, I loved I personally loved it um, because it, it makes every single possession so intense because, again, like, you don't think anybody's ever going to score again. And that fourth quarter was just, it was a slog. It was... It got debased to just one-on-one, trying to figure it out. Obviously, Giannis isn't the greatest one-on-one guy um, in the world. Him and Middleton basically taking turns, like, trying to see who can throw something up there that might luckily land in the basket. And, you know, to your Bruce Brown point, I want to say the Bucs came out like gangbusters in the first quarter. And they're making every shot. They're getting the stops. And in the second quarter, Bruce Brown was just making layups because Brooke Lopez decided he couldn't leave from underneath the cylinder. Like, he was just like, no, you you can't make a wide-open six-footer, Bruce Brown. And was the getting, same floater over and over again. Over and over and over again. And, to, and, you know, it's one of those things, right, Bill, to his credit, it's like, in the second half, he moved up a little bit. And it's like, okay, you're seven foot three. You have the longest arms <laughs> right. in the world. You can <laughs> give good contests. Like, you know, the fact that he figured it out, it's like almost like, when Domino's came out and said, yo, we've been serving you shitty pizza forever um, and we've improved the recipe. It's like, wait, you spent 20 years serving us crap and we're, give, we're patting you on the back for finally giving us a good product. But that's I love what, what happened with... <laughs> that's what happened with Brooke Lopez, though. Like, in the second half, he was legitimately great on defense, right? Yeah. Like, he was legitimately coming out at guys. He finally was like, okay, if Cade... If, if my guy's setting a screen for KD 30 feet away, I'm not going to let him walk into a freaking three. So kudos to Brooke Lopez for playing insanely good defense. K- kudos to Brooke Lopez for remembering he was a center. <laughs> in the first half, I was like, they might have to just play Portis over him. It, it was it was I don't insane. like Bobby Portis, FYI. No, um, it it was it was so bad. And they were just and Brooklyn was just like, all right, he's just gonna let guys shoot wide open six footers. Let's keep doing it. So shouts to the Bucks for actually, you know, they made and the adjustments were like, all right, we're gonna let Blake Griffin shoot three pointers. We're gonna let Bruce Brown catch the ball 30 feet out and not guard him so that we can help on two of the greatest one-on-one offensive threats in the history of basketball. Like, obviously, these are no-brainer things to do, but we they did it, right? Finally, we saw competent defense from the Bucs um, in this game. But I will say, Bill, 
I don't see how you can watch this team play postseason offense and think this is a championship formula. Because it's I not. was stunned. I, first of all, I'm stunned. Holiday, who is a guy who, you know, has multiple <laughs> seasons where he averaged 19, 20 points a game. And they don't even run plays for him. And then when he has the ball and he has to do something, it's like he forgot what to do. And it would seem like he's one of the biggest advantages they have in this series. They don't run any picks for him. They don't really run anything for him. And it seems like he's lost it. Now he's just put all of his eggs in the defensive basket. He was awesome guarding Kyrie today. I was actually, I was watching them and watching all the stuff Holiday was doing. And even when Kyrie scored, he was working his ass off and, you know, four or five moves just to get open. I thought Holiday on that end was great. But yeah, they have two guys who can score and one of those two guys can't shoot free throws and thinks he can make threes and he can't. And there was one play with like three, four minutes left. Blake was guarding one-on-one. Everyone was spread out. And Giannis was at the free throw line and Blake was still backing off. And he just had a wide open foul line jumper. And then remember... He dribbles backwards so he can get a running 40-foot start, like almost like a little kid in YMCA so he can get like a head of steam again and then goes back. And it's like, you just passed up a 14-footer, you know, in a one-point game. So I, it was the total Giannis package. I, I still don't know what to think about him, where we're going. I, I've said it a million times. I just think he's Shaq. I don't blame him that he can't make a three because I think he's a center. I think Milwaukee just trying intently believing that he's LeBron when he's just not is going to be what costs him a title until they figure out. I think he's a center. I think he should be around the rim. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get tired of saying this. Giannis is a finisher of possessions. He should yes. not be starting postseason possessions 30 feet from the basket. And I get it. He's your franchise guy. He's the best player you've had since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's probably one of the three four best players ever. Yep. Um, so I get it. that You can't just say, Giannis, stop taking fucking threes. It's the worst thing ever. But like, you can at least say, Giannis, don't take threes with 20 seconds left on a shot clock. Pull up threes. Like, when you're three for 33 in the whole postseason. Can you please not do that with five minutes about, left with yeah, our season on the line? Don't do the thing the other team is praying you do. Praying that That's you do. A, just a good rule in basketball. Don't do the one thing they're dying for you to do. And yeah, you know, then so the other piece is uh, then with Blake and, you know, some of the role guys who role guys look great at home. That's the role. You kind of wanted to see it. <laughs> Maybe we'll see it in game four. But all of a sudden, you know, if you bet on Brooklyn tonight, which I may or may not have done, um, <laughs> Blake shooting those threes. I'm like, ah, this isn't going in. You know, uh, the, the, the role guys come in. It's like, ah, these guys aren't going to do anything. And you just start thinking Kyrie and KD have to do it. It looks like they're going to fall apart. KD, who just can put together a one-minute sequence of plays that don't resemble anybody else in the league, and he did it again. And it seemed like they're going to pull it. It seemed like they're going to sweep them. And I got to give Milwaukee credit. They made some plays. They're down three. It was nut check time, and they mm -hmm. checked their nuts. They made some plays, and they kept the series going. And now we're going to a game four Friday night that they're going to lose. I'm just telling you now. They're going to lose Friday <laughs> and they're going to lose on Sunday because the Nets are way better. The fact that the Nets almost won this game with all of the yeah, things that went wrong, the fact that they're down 20 plus in the first quarter, nobody in their team can hit a shot. Joe Harris has the worst game of his life. All those things that happened and they still almost won. Come on. Yeah. Um, you know, I, look, if, if for some positivity for the Bucks fans, 
Mm. While KD did that sequence where KD made those three straight shots, the two pull-ups um, from two from mid-range and then the pull-up three where he was off balance and he it looked like he chucked it up and he just nails it. That was incredible stuff. But I, I want to give a game ball to P.J. Tucker because he made it hard for him. Right. Like that's all you can ask the guy to do. He yep. like nobody's going to stop. Kevin Durant from doing anything. But you can make it more difficult than they did in the first two games. And he was in KD, right? I was talking to a friend and he was like, listen, PJ Tucker's already got three fouls in game four. Trust me. Because <laughs> he was in KD's business the entire game. So kudos to him for making it difficult. And the same for Drew Holiday on the Kyrie end. Like, these guys should be taking contested, tough, long-range twos all game. Right. Like you can live with that. Like, yes, they're amongst the best ever at nailing those very tough shots. But if that's what Brooklyn's offense is going to subsist on as a Bucks fan, if you've gotten to the point where that's what their offense is and not KD pocket passes to Bruce Brown on the freaking move for alley oops and stuff. OK, you can live with that. And I think they found something finally tonight as far as who they're helping off of and who's going to guard who one-on-one, right? I don't like the way they're handling the switches. I think if Giannis's guy set the screen for KD, just switch it and let it happen. There were times where PJ's yeah. trying to fight over that screen and KD's getting, you know, he's getting airspace because of that because the other guy's not coming up on him. But I think if you're a Bucks fan, you're happy with what they found defensively tonight. However, this crunch time offense makes me want to die. It's just the Milwaukee one. It's yes. It's actually it's it's, it's actually painful. <laughs> we we overuse the word painful, but it's actually painful to watch. It really is. You're just like ah. Oh, it's is, like a hemorrhoid. Oh oh. <laughs> I will say this tonight ended because it was percolating a little bit. Like maybe they can win without Harden. Maybe they don't need no, Harden. I don't it's like think no. So. You, here's why no, you need Harden. You need- because when you have your two guys who are slightly off, that might happen. But all three guys are not going to be slightly off in the same game. No. Tonight was a game where they couldn't unlock the other two and Harden just would have done stuff for a quarter and all of a sudden they would have been up 10. That's that's why you need Harden. I will say this, and this is messed up to say, I kind of don't want Harden to come back. Mm. I want to see Kevin Durant sweat for the first postseason in five fucking years. Hello? (laughs) Like, I want to see this guy break a sweat in the playoffs, right? Like, he hasn't had to since literally 2016, that classic series against the Warriors. Like, I want to see this guy break a sweat. And whatever, they got punched in the mouth. You know, he didn't shoot a great percentage today. I want to see what he comes back with in game four. You know, I I want to see this. this. He's one of the best players we've ever seen. I want to see him do this in the playoffs. Yeah, I will say this. And this would happen with the Chiefs with Mahomes the last couple of years where they're down 10 nothing in the second quarter and me and Sal and House start texting each other like, oh, it's about the Chiefs. You know they're coming back. <laughs> I felt that way when Brooklyn it was 30 to 9. House and I were texting. We were like, should we lie about this? Should we, should we hop on this? And we looked and it was Nets plus 13 and a half. And we were like, oh. And, and then all of a sudden the game started and live bet goes off. But it was just one of those things where it's like, you know they're coming back. This game, they're not going to lose by 20. This is going to be a game. And of course, they came back and they made it a game. And the line today was Bucks three and a half. So the Bucks didn't cover. The halftime line was Nets by a half point. Nets didn't cover. So it, there was like all kinds of weird Vegas shit going on. 
And uh, I don't know. I think we I think we need to examine Joe Harris, what his role is. No, I'm, I'm kidding, Joe. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jokes. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of, it was your classic really stupid game three where the, the Nets are going to win in five because they are. I'm just telling you. And we'll be like, oh man, they could have swept. Remember that weird game when Bruce Brown took the last two shots? What the fuck was that? They also lost a weird game last round to Tatum, Tatum's 50. That was another one where it's like, all right, the Celtics are never beating this team again unless Tatum has 50 and these nine other things happen. So I think the Nets are advancing. Do you, do you think Philly could give them anything? Yeah, I think, I think Philly or Atlanta gives them a good series. Again, without James Harden, right? Like yes. if James Harden is playing, those teams are not going to make it tough for them, right? I don't think, I think Philly, while they have some interesting wings, right? When it comes to who they could throw out there defensively, when you talk about Simmons, Tobias, Tybull, um, you know, like they have some interesting things there. But your best player is still Joel Embiid. So, you know, like that's, that is going to be, you're going to live and die with Joel. And I don't think, I just don't think this is the series for him, especially on a bad meniscus. And these guys are going to make you run around defensively. I just don't think he'll be long for a Nets series. I think the Hawks, again, with Harden out, I think, one, I think the Hawks are going to beat Philly. That's a one. I just think they're. I think so they're I thought that, that until series. Hunter got hurt. Now I don't know what to mm, think. Yeah, I, it's tougher I, with that. I'm like 55 45. If I had to bet my life on it, game seven's in Philly. That's like a tough. That's a, that's a tough. I'm like game 55 for them 45 Sixers. But if Hunter was looking like he did a week ago, I I think that's 50 50. Who knows? Yeah, maybe Trey. I, I maybe think, Trey will do it. The villain. I, I just think they the, offensively. I don't think Philly like actually has answers for them. Um, I just don't. And and so. I think they're going to be able to, like, the last game was tough. Like, you know, the home, the crowd got into it. Philly finally made a couple of threes and it's kind of snowballed on them. It got out of there, got out of yeah. hand. But like, when they went down a bunch and it just came right back, I'm like, yo, the Hawks are not scared of this team. Uh, they, they, they can get their stuff when they need to. They get into their offense pretty comfortably against them. And it's not like Philly's going to be able, it's just going to rain threes on them because Doc Rivers' teams does, don't ever like threes. Uh, right. So, you know, I, I I like the Hawks in that series. I just think this all comes down to James Harden. If James Harden comes back and he's reasonably healthy, Brooklyn's taking this thing. I agree. KOC had a good, he went through all the second spectrum stuff, how they guarded Trey Young in game two. And it was basically they threw Simmons or Tybal on him for like 60 plays, which is what they should have done in game one. It, get, it puts length on him, makes it harder for him to shoot. But it also like, he does a lot of those weird curry passes. Like he throws it over his head and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just two tall guys would either one of them, they put their arms up. Sure. It just makes them, it threw him off a little bit. I'll be interested to see how he adjusts to that, but it's easily the best series out of the four. I really, 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 really enjoy Sixer socks. Look, I, look, I, <laughs> I think the highest level of talent is in the Utah uh, Clippers series. Um, but, I just love this Atlanta team. I love their Me attitude. Too. I love Trey Young's just like, I'm here to make a statement. I'm mm. here to put, a, put my name in the history books, to put my name on the board as people in this league that you have to respect and reckon with. I just love his embrace of that. And I, 
Bogdanovich, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm obsessed with this dude. Just like his nut sack ratio is just off the freaking charts, right? So I, I even like Huerta. I'm a fan of Huerter. I, I love his all around. Like he can do a little bit of everything. He can shoot it. He can dribble it. He's yeah. a pretty competent defender because he's so big and he moves his feet. I'm just a fan of um, this Hawks team overall. I, they're probably my favorite team left in the postseason. I enjoy watching them the most as well. You know, I still Durant's my favorite player in the postseason. I just love watching Durant. I'm so glad that he's back to where he was two years ago. And I, I think he was playing the best he'd ever played in 2019 when he got hurt. I think he's as good now as he was then. And it sure was, feels that way. And defensively, you know, it's one of those things where it's like the cliche to be like, people don't talk about Durant's defense because we do. But it's true. <laughs> but he's really good defensively, you know, and, yes. and does a lot of good things. And I don't think, you know, I, I think as a two-way player, I don't think people saw that coming in the late 2000s when it seemed like, it's like, can this guy get to 200 pounds? You know, I know I, I and, was driving the bandwagon, but yes, I never thought he would be the. I never thought he'd be the two way guy that he is. You know, again, I mentioned 2016. That, that to me was Kevin Durant's coming out party as a legitimate elite defensive player. Because against Golden State, this guy was everywhere. He was blocking shots at the rim. He was switching out on Steph Curry and Clay, yep. just guarding them on an island one on one. He was rebounding. He was doing everything. And I was like, this is insane. I've never, I didn't know Kevin Durant could do all of this stuff. And then you realize the guy's seven foot, quick as hell, um, sneaky hops. Like, it's incredible. So, you know, he first flashed it to me for real in 2016. And he's doing it for Brooklyn because guess what, Bill? He has to. Who's his defensive back line? Blake Griffin and Claxton? You know, um, Hakeem Olajuwon, they are not. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's 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 by necessity he's doing all of this, and it's impressive. Well, if they if they just had been able to sign DeAndre Jordan two years ago, and and oh wait, he's on the team. We're, we're, uh, what's happening? I guess he's just that's it. He's just their buddy now. Listen, man. Listen, he's 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 there. Um, Charles Oakley, him and um, okay. Kyrie, like. DeAndre is their guy. Like they're, you know, it's like a it's like a brotherhood with those three. So I get it. But you know, another thing, respect to Steve Nash. Like, I yeah. thought that was gonna be a thing. I thought he was gonna have to play DeAndre because of all the kowtowing that everybody has to do to superstars, and he's their boy. And I think he smartly this year gave DeAndre heavy minutes. And he's like, look, I'm playing him. Right. He's not very good, guys. You guys are seeing what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I'm giving, him a, I'm giving him a chance. Yeah, Nash has been great. I, yeah. they, I even like when they show, um, you know, we don't learn a ton from them when the coaches get mic'd. But when they show Nash get mic'd, I really enjoy like his, con he's very Steve Nashy. Mm -hmm. I've done a few podcasts with him, obviously. He's exactly what he's like when you're with him. He's just very measured, very calm, very poised. And like, that's the kind of coach I would want to play for if I was... You know, an NBA player. Like, I look at Budenholzer on the other side. Budenholzer looks like he just played 36 holes <laughs> and the last nine, you know, they were doing shots. And he just, he just looks, he just looks like he's about to have a heart attack on the sidelines. And then you go on the other side and Nash is like perfectly composed. He's been there. He played. 
He's been in the biggest games possible. He's not nervous at all. Like, I don't know. I think that has to matter a tiny bit. I think so, too. And I think his temperament is his biggest asset to this team. When you talk about the management of, like, Kyrie's taking PTO days during the regular season. Just yeah. like, I'll see you guys I'm calling in a couple out days. sick. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, like, he he's the one that has to manage that. And I remember, I forgot who put this out. They put out a study that said um, Steve Nash was, like, one of the most emotionally intelligent players in the league because one of the things that showed it was he averaged most touches of his teammates of any NBA players. He was constantly like doing the human interaction shit. Like, yo, right. are you good? Is everything okay? Nah, just, you know, just stay focused, stay in the game, doing all of that crazy leadership quality stuff. And to hop into the Brooklyn, like, look, man, we can Not say- Not an easy like, one. Kyrie- is, you know, he's your crazy blonde ex, you know? Like, <laughs> he is, he's, he's tough. And KD is tough. And Harden is Harden, right? Like, Harden's, you know, partying with rappers at strip clubs with no mask on at the start of training camp, right? Like, this is, it's tough. And Nash has just seamlessly done this. And I think he deserves the credit. Obviously, he has the most talent in the league, but not everybody could do what he's done this year. It's hard to... Manage famous people. Exactly. You know, whether you're a director on a movie set or whether you're a coach of a team like this, I was always impressed with Spolstra. You know, the way he was able to handle the LeBron Wade thing, especially when it looked like they were going to snake him during the second year, right? Remember when it got a little tense? Yes. Got a little tense. There's a lot of rumors. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, he handled it. And the thing is, he's kind of the same kind of calmness, intelligence, just being able to read situations and being able to connect with people. And the thing you mentioned about the touching, I, I remember writing this about Duncan a million years ago when you would see Duncan in person on the Spurs. The way he would connect with everybody and coming out of timeouts, he would have an mm -hmm. arm around somebody and then he would go over to somebody and slap somebody in the ass and he was just connected to all those dudes. Yeah, mm -hmm. old school leaders. I think Durant has some of that. I didn't, I don't, didn't feel like he did the first, you know, five, six years of his career, but I think he's, and I certainly didn't feel like he was like that on the Warriors. And the Warriors, he was like, kind of like the uh, he's played the relative the who showed up for team. Christmas. Yeah, this Nets team, I feel like he has it. Absolutely. And you could tell the guys, like, they fuck with him. Like, you could tell the guys. It's not like, you know, you know, the stories came out last year after the Clippers had their meltdown where guys are like, look, Paul George is trying to do the leadership thing. And everybody's like, yeah, really? the eye rolling it. You guys serious? You know, yeah. but with KD, you could tell like these Nets guys are like, no, like this guy's our leader. He's going to take us to the promised land. We follow him. And I always said, Bill, you don't get enough credit for managing big egos like me and Varier and Mahoney <laughs> and KLC. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't get enough credit for that, brother. Yeah, we, we don't have a lot of egos. We, we have a <laughs> no, lot of good don't. team players. It's easy. Absolutely. It's easy at the ringer. Um, Absolutely. Right. Big Waz, you, on, uh, you doing any more pods this week? What's your plan? Um, I won't be on until group chat uh, next Wednesday. Every Wednesday night, we record and we drop very early Thursday morning. Right. Um, who knows? Something crazy might happen in the playoffs where I'll get the bat signal and have to come on. But yes, tell the people to look for me on group chat, Phil. Your, right. your hordes, possibly locker room your, your too. legions of... Oh, yes. And possibly locker room as possibly well. Possibly locker legions. room. Some shit goes down this weekend. I'm with you. I, th I hope the Hawks make it fun this weekend. I think the Nets I are going to beat will. the Bucks. I think Hawks Sixers go seven. 
I think the Suns handle the Nuggets easily. And Jazz Clippers, to me, is the wild card series. I don't know what to expect. You could tell me the Jazz are going to sweep them. You could tell me it's 2-2 in 72 hours. I wouldn't believe either. Uh, Big Waz, good to see you as always. All right, BS. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a award winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, Peter Schrager's here from the NFL Network, from Fox, and most important to me, Flying Coach, the podcast. Season two came back with him and Sean McVay. How many coaches are we up to now? We now have four NFL head coaches, and if you include McVay, we've got five. So we've done Robert Sala from the Jets, Matt LaFleur from the Packers, Zach Taylor, surprisingly great from the Bengals, Cliff Kingsbury, probably the best one yet, and then Sean. So we're five out of 32, and we're trying to knock them all out here. Belichick looming as mm. the white whale, as, you know, the Kaiser Soze of this podcast where he just pops in and you just can't believe it. I Here's my case for Belichick coming on. Who loves talking football more than Bill Belichick? I know. I nobody know. It, nobody loves a conversation for 20 minutes about all the stuff Ed Reed did in the 2006 week eight random game against the Texans. Totally. And I know the perfect bridge, like all Sean needs to do is come in and start talking about Johnny Hecker, his punter. And then Belichick will talk for like 15 minutes about how good Hecker is. The truth is this, McVeigh is co-hosting this thing. And if you've listened to the Flying Coach season two, I, I feel like this is uh, Zion, like the way he's come out of the gates as a host. He's incredible. He's, he's candid, he's unfiltered, and he goes a long way in booking these guests. And I finally, this is the first one I started leaning on him this week. I'm like, all right, we got to start planting the seed for Belichick. We've got five more to go in the 10 episode run. And I am hoping that Belichick is one of them from here on out. Well, and then the other piece of this is you're going to be joining me on, uh, on this podcast on Thursdays after the roaring success of Million Dollar Picks, which by the way, has not transferred to my NBA playoff picks. I'm I'm just getting crushed. I actually had to shut it down. I'm waiting, yeah, I mean, waiting to come back for football. Basketball, I, have, I just have not figured out. I have good friends who are all in on this Bucks Lakers pick of yours, and it just they they're texting me, not too thrilled with the Bill Simmons uh, selections. No, but, they they should be not thrilled with Anthony Davis. Is what they shouldn't be thrilled with. Hey, Anthony, play. play four games in a row. Street clothes. Yeah, play four games in a row. Anyway, we are going to be doing this um, every Thursday for million dollar picks. There's a lot of rumors that FanDuel might have a million dollar picks thing of their own that we're going to, we're going to kind of be piloting and we'll see how we can do. But, um, I sent you some gambling stuff. <laughs> There's some good future stuff now. Cause the draft is done. All the major trades have done, been done now, except for Aaron Rodgers, who we can talk about in a second. But, um, one of the things that jumped out to me, they have starting QB bets and, uh, 
like Bridgewater was plus 145 to be Denver's opening day starter. How is Bridgewater not the opening day starter for Denver? Explain that to me. Oh, I think it's Drew Locke. I think it's Drew Locke. I think they brought in Bridgewater as a competition for Locke, but I think Drew Locke has been the starter now for two years. George Payton's the new GM. And, you know, we could talk about Fangio as the coach and he's had Drew Locke for two years. They didn't give up much. They gave up a sixth round pick to get Teddy Bridgewater, which to me tells me that there wasn't a market for Teddy Bridgewater and it's not necessarily your number one. Furthermore- So so Drew Locke is plus 145, just for the record. Yeah, I, I think Drew Locke is the guy in Denver for now. And here's what it is when you look at the Broncos. There's still this open door to, to Rodgers, but the GM signed a six- year deal. And if if you want the backstory, George Payton is like one of these guys was with the Vikings for years as the number two in the front office. And every year it was like the number one GM candidate is George Payton. And he would pull his name out because he's got young kids and they were happy in Minnesota, agrees to go to Denver, is being paid like a top GM. And he signed a six-year deal. So he is in no rush to like make a rash decision or to, to sell. And you saw that at the draft. They didn't take Justin Fields. They didn't take Mac Jones. I feel like he's cool if Drew Locke is the quarterback this year and then we could explore it in the offseason or he wants to leave the door open for Rodgers or maybe even Deshaun Watson. New England Patriots, Cam is minus 185. Mac Jones is plus 170. I would think Cam. Think? I would think okay. Cam. And I think You've said all the reasons in the past about, okay, he was good the first two weeks, gets COVID, has a long way back, doesn't look the same, was thrown the playbook in July. And the way Bill, I call him Bill, the way Belichick talks about Cam Newton, it's like, this is his guy. I don't think they want to throw it all on Mac Jones from day one. And on Thursday, they had a practice and Cam didn't play because of a hand issue. And Jared Stidham took the majority of the number one reps, which tells me, wow. it, I know it's only June, but it tells me they're not going to be handing anything to Mac Jones from go. And I would be surprised if he's the week one starter. Jared Stidham plus 950 to be the week <laughs> one starter. Uh, Winston is minus 280 for New Orleans and Garoppolo's minus 320 for the Niners. We don't see any scenario where those aren't the two starters, right? I think those are the two starters, especially San Francisco. But the Winston deal, I go back on a personal conversation I had with Sean Payton around the Super Bowl. And I was like, if Breeze retires, and I mean, he was really just pitching how good Jameis has been this whole year. And I know he loves Taysom and there's going to be a place for Taysom Hill. But I feel like this is Jameis Winston's team. They brought him back on this one-year deal. And the way Peyton was so bullish, I think there's also something to prove. Like, hey, no one else can figure Jameis out, but I'm Sean Peyton. Let me show you how good I can make this guy. Hot take might be better than old Drew Brees. I've heard that. I've heard that from a few people. And I don't think it's not- Very conceivable. He threw for 5,200 yards a year and a half ago. He's got a better deep pass than Drew Brees did last year. The, The stuff is, you know, when- the Tampa time with Jameis was like, he always broke your heart. Always yeah. broke your heart, no matter when. Like, there was never that big moment where he came through for you. So, no, if he, he did. Can... If you bet against the Bucks, he came through a lot <laughs> sure. of times. He really, sure. he really enjoyed Jameis at that point. He's quite reliable uh, then. Yeah. What, let's talk, uh, let's talk bandwagons. All right. I can feel the Cleveland Browns bandwagon. I think it was built. I think it's like one of those ships in Game of Thrones <laughs> that we were just like, wow, what an amazing, majestic ship that is. Brown's bandwagon. They got a taste of it last year. Really, really got their beak wet. <laughs> Odell coming back. They had those dumb injuries in that game they lost to the Chiefs. And then you think like, oh man, if, you know, think, go back and Who's their backup quarterback for the Chiefs? Oh, am I blanking? Chad Henney. A little Chad Henney magic. 13-yard run. 
maybe the Browns get through there. Um, and now I feel like they're going to be bandwagony there. Do you know what their win total is for season wins? 17 games, I'd say nine and a half. Yeah, it was 10 and a half. Wow. Wow. So I forgot about the 17 games when I was looking at these and I was like, my God, the Browns <laughs> 10 and a half. And then it's like, oh, so they'd have to go 11 and six, which seems conceivable. But uh, do you agree that that's the AFC bandwagon team or do you have a different one? Choo-choo. I mean, the Browns are all everyone's talking about. They come the coach of the year, first of all, Stefanski, who I, I, I love everything about this guy. He, it's not about him. He's totally low, but like everyone there says in a matter of a year, they went from kind of a loose around the edges organization to everyone being buttoned up from the top to bottom. Baker, people are high on, but I just love what, what they're all about. It's running the ball, good offensive line. They added stuff on defense and in the second round, they got the linebacker from Notre Dame, who's initially yeah. J-O-K. And now he was supposed to be a first-round pick. Some teams found a minor heart issue that they thought on their medicals. He fell down draft boards. The Browns are over the moon that he fell down. They might have gotten their middle linebacker for the next decade in this guy in the second round. I think it's fair. And if it was a different coach, I would maybe say, okay, slow down. But this guy is so grounded, so measured. Like He will not let these guys read their own headlines. And it's an interesting dynamic. It's him who is a Penn graduate. His father, you'd find this interesting, is Ed Stefanski, the old GM of the Nets and the Sixers. So yeah. he grew up in a sports background where he like understands this stuff. And then Andrew Barry, who's a Harvard guy and is one of the smartest GMs in the league. He's under 40 years old. So very like smart, different group that's leading the Browns. Nothing against the old group. It's just that it feels like they've got the right combo now. And they're measured and rational and grounded. Two stiffs in that division potentially too. And so, it's basically could come down to them in Baltimore, unless you feel like Roethlisberger is going to have this, uh, this, I don't know, cap renaissance, cap, cap Rooney first half of the last any given Sunday game kind of renaissance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're Steelers not feeling interesting. it. I just don't, it's hard for me in good faith to say the Steelers are going to come out guns blazing. The big difference with them is they fired their offensive coordinator and brought in a new guy named Matt Canada, who everyone around the league is like, Ooh, he's innovative. He was the quarterback's coach, but like, does the jet sweep, does things we haven't seen from the Steelers yet. But at the end of the day, Ben did not look great at the end of last season. And we did the whole, Ben's back, he looks fresh, like the first three months, and then it kind of petered out. It's hard for me to think over a 17-game season, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be as good as he once was in like the early 2010s. Rams are my candidate for the uh, NFC bandwagon team. Now, this is a tough one for us because our <laughs> our coworker, Sean our colleague. McVay, our colleague, um, look, they're built to make the Super Bowl. They've traded a hundred draft picks and they're supposed to compete for a Super Bowl spot this year. And they improved their quarterback position, which they needed to do. And there's a lot of Stafford breakout buzz. And if it's going to be a year in the next three, it should be this year. You're thinking their over under is also 10 and a half. Their for the conference are plus 650. What do you think of the Rams? A lot. I love it. I mean, yeah. I, look, and again, all biases, but it's not even that. Like I, I talk to Sean every day. That's fine. But first of all, I've never heard him as excited as he is about his team. And they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago and he's yeah. just giddy, giddy over Stafford. And it's nothing against golf at this point. It's like Stafford is the quarterback he was meant to have. It feels like the two of them speak the same language. 
they're of a similar age where they can talk and it's at a different level and just the stuff. And it's such a McVeigh-ism. And I think you've heard him say it where he's like, it's above the neck. And I'm trying to do his Gruden like voice, whatever it is. But like, mm. his above the neck is just so amazing. I'm like, what is above the neck? Who talks like that? And he's like, it's just the stuff that he has upstairs where he can see something and it's instantaneous and he can just adjust, call the audible. I wouldn't be shocked if they go four wide a ton. I wouldn't be shocked if Stafford's throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game at some points. Like this is the McVay offense. He's always dreamed to run where it's the quarterback is a coach on the field and he can sling it. Uh, they didn't go after Julio in the end. I think they feel pretty confident with their receiving core. They love Cam Akers who played injured most of last year and the defense, they lose Brandon Staley as a defensive coordinator who did a really good job in his one year. But Raheem Morris comes in, who's a former NFL head coach and a really good defensive coordinator and yeah. he's one of McVay's best friends. So I, I feel like the Rams, you add in this whole deal with the new stadium and fans and there being a Super Bowl this year and you might not think that stuff matters. There's like a certain momentum that goes with it where it's like, all right, to your point, this is our year. There's an urgency. We've knocked on the door a few times. Let's get over the hump. And the NFC, with the exception of the Buccaneers, is sort of wide open. The new stadium thing helps. I think from a talent standpoint, because the Bucs are, they're so loaded, they got to fuck around with their draft, which I thought was really interesting, where they they didn't really have any major needs, right? They're just like, cool, this guy. Ah, always like this guy. And they just kind of how they went. Who do you think is the third most talented team in the NFC? Is it the Packers? I guess, right? But like, it's an asterisk, so I wouldn't, put any money down on them in June because I could see Jordan Love being the quarterback week one and that's a big unknown. I don't think anyone else in the NFC North, like the Vikings, the Lions and the Bears, I, I can't sign off on that. The Saints are in a questionable mode. The Panthers and the Falcons rebuilding. You start stretching and you start looking and you're like, all right, we going to the old standby? Like, is it Seattle? And, no. You know, and it, it gets go to ahead. that say, point. Say who you want to say. Just go ahead. Go ahead. You think I'm going to say Spit the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers? No, who, I don't. Who do you think? I, Go ahead. Okay, fine. I'll Do tell it. you who it is. Do it. The, Do your thing. The New York Giants are your sleeper team in the NFC. Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> yeah, let's hear it's it. True. It's Make true. Make the case. Here's the case for the Giants in June. All right. Joe Judge. I'm going to give him a mulligan last year as I will give every first-year coach from last year COVID season, weird off season. How do you establish yourself when you're doing it over Zoom? You move your whole family to a new market and they don't even get to go to New York City. It's his team. He was hard-ass last year, disciplined, and did not lose the team. Got rid of some guys who might have been dissenting opinions in that room. And they're all in. And then in the offseason, they bring back Leonard Williams. They get Galladay, who's a solid wide receiver with what they got. Adoree Jackson. And then the, the, the pick of like Kadarius Toney. I know not a fan from everybody, but I think it's another great, great draft with him and Ojolari. Like, I think the Giants are going to be really good this year. I think they're the NFC East team for me. And, uh, you know, you always talk about the aggregators and what we use it in uh, on our show, Good Morning Football, Kyle Brandt and I will call it Big Fonted. And what that means is like the NFL Network will put you on Instagram and be like, Peter Schrager says the Giants are your NFC East favorites. And you're like, ah, oh, shit, here comes 7,000 people on Twitter saying I'm an idiot. But on paper, the Giants have it. And I gotten to know Joe Judge a bit. I've gotten to know Daniel Jones a bit. Like, it's got that feeling where it's all there. They just need to go out there and play football. And oh yeah, I didn't even mention, maybe the best player in the game is coming back from an injury and he's ready to tear the league up in Saquon. So I, I'm saying the Giants in a wide open NFC could be your team. 
I can't believe it took you to the tail end to mention Saquon. It's almost I like an thought he would have been first sentence. It's not. And it's like, that's what is making me think, oh, oh shit, I forgot about Saquon. Like, I think he's that good. And the fact that it almost goes against all the other things I'm saying, and it's just an added bonus. Giants could be a team that we're looking at come like January and we're like, oh my God, what a, what a come from nothing story. But they've had all the pieces they've just been building. And now finally it all comes together. Well, the other thing in their favor is the NFC East. Yeah. Who do yeah, you trust I can't, in the NFC East? Like Philly might be rebuilding no. for all yeah, we know. Philly, Dallas, no. who knows? And Washington, who knows? Washington really good on defense. We'll see how Fitzpatrick is. But, you know, with with Dallas, it's like they were really bad on defense. They bring in Dan Quinn, get a healthy Dak back. But like there, there's a lot of youth on that defense. I don't know. If they, if they score 40 points a game, I won't be surprised. But I can't tell you that Dallas isn't going to give up 41 points per game. Yeah, and what do we get from Zeke? What do we have from Dak and his year back? Like, I was looking at the odds on FanDuel. Dallas is minus 156 to make the playoffs. And I was like, I could see Dallas going 5-11, and 11, or for, I guess 5-12, and 6-11, six and, six and 11, or something like that. I don't think they're... How are they... How is it more likely from a gambling standpoint for them to make the playoffs than not? And the answer is... People love Dallas. People love Dallas. Vegas and loves Dallas. They, they bet on it. That Dallas, I think, was the highest possibility to have the best record and those best record odds last year before they got hurt. And so I look at Dallas as minus 156. Then you get Washington. They're plus 156. Can I give you another reason why people like Dallas this year? And it's such like a June thing, but Giants are, Giants are plus 230. But go ahead. Giant, Giants. Giants are your Giants team. plus 230 to make the playoffs. Go ahead. What's your reason? All right, so they play at Tampa on a Thursday night to start the season. Their yep. next nine opponents, the Cowboys, Chargers miss the playoffs, Eagles miss the playoffs, Panthers miss the playoffs, Giants miss the playoffs, Patriots miss the playoffs, Vikings miss the playoffs, Broncos miss the playoffs, Falcons miss the playoffs. The NFL schedule makers were not unkind to Dallas out of the gates to maybe give them Wait a some second. sort of cushion. Go, go over those slowly, and I'm going to comment after each team. All right, so so first game is what? At Tampa Thursday night. Let's say it's one. Okay. Own one. At Los Angeles. Chargers. I think yeah. the Chargers are going to be good. Okay. So you got 0-2. I have them marked down for a 10-7, a 9-8 season. So the old 9-8. and eight. Games. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little 9-8-ish to me. So 9-8. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, two. I could see them 0-2 after that. Home against rebuilding Philly. That's a win. Home against Carolina. Although that could be the, they lose and they're 0-3 and it's leading first take on Monday morning. Oh, it don't worry. It's Steve and A going, just going crazy about them being 0-3. Hey, let me give you a little TV morning show secret. Win or lose every morning, Monday morning, 7 o'clock a.m. We're starting with Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it works. The next one, uh, Carolina Panthers at home, Dallas. I see Carolina. I could see them being pretty good this year. Okay. So you like I every think, team. 31 teams are going to be great, according to no, you. No, no. But when you keep going to the, they're playing the Pats. They're playing at New England. That's a loss. Okay. You have another one. Home the, against the Giants. You love the Giants. I love the Giants, but I don't know if the Giants are going to walk into Dallas. Playing the and Broncos. Them. We both think the Broncos are pretty talented. Anyway, my point is Dallas. I just don't, I think you might be on something with the Giants. I was thinking Washington could be the team in that. Yeah, they could be. Division could with be. a little, uh, with our, who was that guy's name? Taylor? I get like, I get like football <laughs> Alzheimer's after the season ends. When it's like four Antonio months Gibson? after, I can't remember who's that. No, who's the quarterback who lit it up in the playoff game? Oh, Taylor Heineke. Yeah, my guy Taylor. 
I think Fitzpatrick's the quarterback. I think That's Ryan it for Fitzpatrick's Taylor. He's out. I think Taylor got a two-year deal. He'll be in the mix. Ah. But I think it's Fitzpatrick's team. Oh, uh, let's take a quick break. I want to do a couple more of this. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad from you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, this leads into a Rogers discussion. Just a quick one, because it's it's the the horse has been beaten pretty severely. <laughs> First of all, what do you make of the Instagram stuff? I'd, I'd love your opinion. The ukulele with Miles Teller and the the singing Taylor Swift is it cringeworthy to you, or is it like this guy's living his best life? Go do your thing. We did a rewatchables about City Slickers that's running on Monday. <laughs> Jack Palance. And it's about these guys going and having a midlife crisis at age 39. I think I've Rogers seen is having a midlife crisis. Don't, don't they seem older than 39? Like, yeah, they, seem, they do seem like mid-40s. They all have kids and they're like yeah. teens. I'm like, City Slickers doesn't date too well. Okay, but Jack so, Palance is like, you need to find your one thing. And it's like, hey, Rogers, what's your one thing? You, you seem like you're all over the map. And I still, nobody's been able to explain to me why he's mad at the Packers. Is it just 100% because of the Jordan Love thing? Because other than that, They've been really successful and they put together a good organization. They've drafted well. They've been competitive every year. They had a chance to win the Super Bowl last year. So it's either you're just mad at you're just being spiteful about the Jordan Love thing, or you hate living in Wisconsin. You want to live on the West Coast with your girlfriend, which is what I think the reason is, which is which brings me to my point. Vegas is 41 to 1 to win the AFC. You Vegas, think is okay. Vegas is six and a half for their win total right now. So if they go seven and 10, you win. I think Vegas is the most likely spot for Aaron Rodgers if and when he gets traded, not Denver. Because okay. as you said, that Denver GM, six-year deal, he doesn't have to like swing his no dick pressure. around and, and cross his fingers and hope like he gets a big move. Gruden, on the other hand, is, you know, he's heading toward the middle of that gigantic, awful deal they signed him to. He doesn't care about first round picks as much because he can't really draft that well. Um, and he could immediately talk of something here, take three of our first round picks and, and take car back. You can have him too. 
let's go. I have Aaron Rodgers. I could just see him doing it. And then if you're Rodgers, you're an hour flight away from California. Okay, first point, I don't think they're going to do anything based on where Aaron Rodgers wants to go. After this whole thing, I, I don't think the Packers are going to say, well, where would Aaron be happy? That's not their concern at the moment. Number two... You mean after he trashed everybody <laughs> who makes a decision on the team for months? Never came out of his mouth, and we don't know if that's his words, but okay. there certainly hasn't been a rebuttal from Aaron Rodgers on any of it. Yeah. Um, number two, the Vegas thing... What's interesting is because I, I thought the same thing. Draft weekend, I'm like, oh, he's going to be a Raider. No problem. And I got stuff back from people around the league. One source who who's really tied into the Raiders, like, look, they're sold out in that new stadium. Like, they are doing very well. They don't need his face on a billboard. It's not like they need anything to oh. add to their bottom line. Like, the Vegas deal, whereas the Rams and Chargers are figuring it out in L.A. still. Like, the Vegas thing is is a whopping success as far as season tickets, money, suites, all that stuff. So I great, by the way, great, a, great spot for the stadium. Is it? It's I like right I in the heart there, of yeah. downtown when you're on the highway where the, if you're driving, like, let's say you're driving to Vegas. You see the, it though? Like it's The there? strip is on the right. Okay. And then the, the stadium's on the left. It's gigantic. You can't and miss it's beautiful. it. It's really and cool. It's, it's right in the middle amazing. of it. Yeah, yeah that's great. cool. No, and it's going to be, a, you know, I think the LA thing gets all the press, but like the Raiders are going to have a really cool deal and they've got a nightclub in mm. the end zone, the whole deal. Anyway, you've got that. The final piece to it is now you're getting a little later in the season. It's going to be July soon. It's going to be August. Like, I'm not sure if Gruden just rips it all up and says, here's three first round picks. And as good as Aaron Rodgers is, I don't know if part of them is like, we're 10 toes down, like 10 toes down on, on, on Derek Carr here. And like, this is our guy, we're paying him and we're going to ride it out. Like, this is our dude. Cause they could have made a move a thousand times. They could have started Mariota last year. They could have drafted someone three straight drafts. Carr continues to put up big numbers and yet they miss the playoffs every season. I would think Denver, even with the new GM and the whole deal, I think Denver makes more sense than Las Vegas at the moment. Is there a mystery team you think could be in there? I don't. I, I, you know, at, at one point I was like, obviously San Francisco, before all this stuff, I, you've been hearing the Rogers rumors since March, and the San Francisco stuff was interesting because before they even traded up for Trey Lance, you've got the Jimmy Garoppolo situation where he's going into the final year really next year of his contract, and then you've got Rogers from Northern California. Rogers and John Lynch, those guys know each other for years. There's a connection there. And I just thought that always made sense. And yet they went they just got the number three overall pick and took a quarterback. So you could cross off San Francisco. And then Miami, I thought Miami would make a lot of sense. I thought Miami actually was really interested. And I could tell you, I, I heard it from people not in Miami, but outside that they were the major leaders in the Deshaun Watson stuff. But then once mm. Watson's whole deal uh, blew up like it did, they kind of backed off and they're like, all right, two is our guy. So I don't know many teams other than Denver. Like if you go through the quarterback rooms, everyone obviously would rather have Aaron Rodgers with the exception of maybe Mahomes than their own quarterback. But when you start talking about trading second, third, you know, three, four first round picks for Rodgers, I don't think it makes sense. And the final part of it is I don't think Green Bay wants to trade him. Like Chuck Pagano was talking to Pat McAfee yesterday and I was listening to it and I love Chuck. Talk, talk to him all the time because he's got just great insights. And he's like, if if I'm Matt LaFleur, I would rather be dead than be the coach who trades you know, Aaron Rodgers. And I think a lot of that is true up there in Green Bay. I think they'd rather see him retire or just not play than watch him suit up for the Denver Broncos and take them to the Super Bowl. So you think they would rather an Andrew Luck situation 
then get three first round picks for him. Gosh, I don't know. I I think I don't think they want to trade him. I don't think Goody wants to have that on his resume. But if you're telling me in late July the Broncos or early August are offering three first round picks and you can have Drew Locke or you know Bridgewater, it'd be hard Ooh. to. Oh, gee, hmm. thanks. Hey, what about your team, the G-Men? I don't see that. I think no? they like Daniel Jones. Yeah. And it, oh my God. So, so can the bartender cut them off, please? Let me give you the 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 positives on the Daniel Jones hype train. Smartest shit. <laughs> no. Toughest <laughs> shit. Toughest shit. Okay. And they say he throws the ball a mile and like he's respected there. Now look, he's not he's not Joe Namath as far as personality goes and all this stuff, but like they think that this guy is a complete sponge with the playbook, strong arm. And it's tough, like played hurt last year. So they're in on him. Sorry. Except for the part where he repeatedly gives the ball to the other team. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Is he still going to fumble at every big possession and over the course of a 17-game season? Probably. He's tough as shit, dude. To me, <laughs> to me qu- quarterback fumbles cannot be fixed. I just look at that and I'm like, you are who you are with that stuff. If you're... Yeah. Running back fumbles, sometimes the guys can get better at it. But if a quarterback is sloppy with the ball, unfixable. It's a major problem. And I think this is obviously the season. I'll tell you who else I'd be watching. Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator. Because last year when Saquon went down, that offense was basically like, uh, what do we do now? And it yeah. was not innovative. And when you're in a league with Kingsbury and McVay and Sean Payton and Bruce Arians, where they're doing all sorts of crazy jet sweeps, like you can't be running the 2012 DeMarco Murray Cowboys offense. Like there needs to be something. So laugh if you want, but Freddie Kitchens is in that room and he did a lot of that cool stuff with the Browns. He's not the OC, but I know they lean on him a lot. Maybe Freddie Kitchens unleashes something as ironic as that sounds in a young quarterback in Daniel Jones. Broncos 12 to one to win the conference. The odds are still reflecting your, your feeling that in a lot of people out there that if he does get traded, it'll be to Denver. If he does, yeah. I think Peter King had a good like scenario in his article this week, and I hadn't considered it, but you know, Green Bay doesn't want to trade him. They desperately want him back. LaFleur on the record has been like looks like a like a like a guy who's lost his puppy talking about like how badly he wants McVeigh there, or not McVeigh, Rogers there. Um and, and I feel like the thing that Peter King proposed was all right, come back this year. You don't have to talk to our front office. You don't have to even shake hands with Mark Murphy or whoever else. Just come back for one more season. Give us a full offseason to explore a trade as opposed to this bomb being dropped, you know, in late April where there's no suitors and it's after free agency. Whether Rodgers would agree to that, I don't know. But I'm not so certain he ever plays for that team again. What if, so you think more likely he doesn't play for them again or more likely he does play for them? I think it's 50-50 and we're, you know, we're heading towards July at this point. They maybe have one more practice uh, and then they got a couple next week where it's going to be all the young guys. The veterans aren't going to be expected to be there. And then we start training camp and it's like, you got to have a, got to have a solution here. You can't just be waiting on someone out in Hawaii with a ukulele singing, shake it off with uh, the guy from Top Gun. Like we got to get going here. And Jordan, I love that scenario of like him, Miles Teller, Mrs. Miles and Shailene Woodley, and they're just sitting around some tiki hut at 1030 at night on their fifth, fifth whatever drink. And he's just My like, and Rogers is like, I'm just not happy, guys. And Shailene Woodley is like, just, just follow your heart, Aaron. <laughs> just 
follow your heart. You don't have to play. You don't need football. And he's just got all these people in his life who probably don't even understand what he does. I absolutely love Rogers. Like he's been really good to the Good Morning Football Show. He comes on with us. He's he's as unique a quarterback as it is. And I almost feel like he would appreciate us like smiling and grinning at this like situation from afar and not and even mocking him. Like he's literally playing. Uh, you know, he's got like the Jack Johnson flake. He's playing it on like a, an acoustic guitar by the campfire while he's like, I'm not happy. It's like, that looks pretty good to me, dude. You got a pretty good deal over there. And yeah. he's in this, the most Zen-like situation. Like he's out there with the, the waterfall and he goes on Kenny Maine and he looks great. And he's got the tan and the hair's long and he's every beach bum surfer dude that you've ever envied in your life for having it all. And he still in that moment can't say like, I'll be back or don't worry. It'll all work itself out. So if he's at his absolute namaste Zen-like moment and he still is unhappy, I'm not sure he's ever going to suddenly flip the switch and be like, all right, I'm coming back and let's do the whole cheesehead thing again one more year. Well, I hate when athletes do this. I'm on the record every time. Harden was another one. I'm sure he learned from the Harden stuff, but I just need a reason. Like if, if the Harden thing made a little more sense because he, because he's like, I was so close all those years. But on the same time, he was telling them what to do. They were making trades to make him happy. And then when it didn't work, he's like, all right, I'm out. The Rodgers thing still is weird to me that uh, you would think they went like five and 11 last year. And no, they, they didn't. Were, they were 13 and three. They, they go were to good. And I know. They and easily could have made the Super Bowl. It's like, what are you mad at? Just be honest about it. Um, the uh, couple more playoff odds things the the Washington football team okay 27 to 1 to win the NFC that would that would assume Rams Bucks the two most talented teams by far something weird happened with both yeah and we just we moved into this holy shit that team's gonna be in the Super Bowl I personally think it's got to be Rams or Bucks, and I don't even like the idea of an NFC sleeper. But uh, so if you say Washington twenty-seven to one, Giants thirty-one to one to win the NFC, let's go. You like that one more? I mean, it's a long shot. I mean, look, I honestly yeah. believe it's Rams, Bucks, and then I'll put Seattle in there just because the quarterback is so darn good. And I know they always lose in the wild card round, but like, I don't know. I feel like you get in a playoff situation. Healthy Adams. You get, yeah, you get, you know, Jamal Adams is healthy. You have Metcalf and Lockett. Obviously we can list the whole roster, but you get in a playoff situation and it's all right. Upstart, you know, Washington home against Seattle, Seattle wins. All right. Now we've got this, you know, this fun team that, you know, whatever you pick at Arizona, Russell Wilson knows how to win a playoff game. Pete Carroll knows how to win a playoff game. So I would say those are the three teams, San Francisco, I'd put in the mix just because they were there two years ago and they get the whole defense back. And I think they're going to be pretty good. But I, it's tough for me to say Washington's going to run the table in the NFC. I'm going to give you my lock. So we're taping this. It's June 10th. This is my lock future bet. Kyle, I hope you're sitting down. Patriots plus 126 to make the playoffs. I like it. Guess who's making the playoffs this year? The New England Patriots. Yeah, they didn't screw around this offseason. Way, 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 way better than they were last year. And guess who's not missing the playoffs two years in a row? Bill Belichick. You're right. They have a ton of talent. 
and I and I think the most underrated storyline with the Patriots that you'll appreciate was, you know, they had a practice on Thursday and everyone's talking about Mac Jones or Cam Newton. Guess who stepped on that field? Dante Hightower stepped on that field. Mm. And, oh, and don't think it, I didn't notice. And, and did it as the quarterback of the defense. And everyone I speak to in New England is like, do you have any idea how important that guy is to our yeah. team? Do you have any idea how important all those opt-outs were? to our team. So it's the, you know, yes, they revamped with free agency and yes, uh, the quarterbacks are going to be a big story, but the fact they get all those opt-outs on the offensive line and the linebackers, like, I think it's huge. And Belichick, he, I'm with you. He's not missing the playoffs two years in a row. Certainly not a year after Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl. Plus 126. I love it. I, I Lock like it down. Yeah. Uh, I also, the, the Browns at 16 to one to win the Super Bowl. I just like the odds. Good odds. Even though it's very bandwagony. I just no, like the odds. Right. There's what five teams have a real chance to win the Super Bowl. What are, what are the Buffalo the what are the Buffalo Bills odds? Do we have that on hand? So we have KC is five to one, Tampa's plus six fifty, Buffalo twelve to one, Niners thirteen to one, Baltimore fourteen to one, Rams fourteen to one, Browns sixteen to one, and then it starts dropping off. Should we do a Rams Bills parlay right now on June 10th? Like, I feel like the Bills for the conference championships. <laughs> I don't know. For the Super Bowl. Let's go. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Like, so you'd have to bet. So Bills is plus 600. Rams is plus 650. As a two team parlay, I'm FanDuel plus 5150. I mean, I mean, so you bet $100, you could win $5,150. All right, so let's think about the Bills, right? They knocked on the door last year. Josh they Allen's going to be an MVP candidate. He might win the MVP this year. And they get their fans back. They get that incredible home field advantage that they've always used, especially in December and all these games. And it was interesting. The NFL put out the schedule, and I laughed because Klosterman came on with you, and he's like, I watched a 30-minute documentary about the schedule makers. Did anyone else watch it? I did. I watched yeah. it. And I loved it. And it was incredible. And I suggest you watch it, Bill. You'd love it, too. It's 30 minutes. It's in and out. It's fascinating. But in that software, they do the whole machinations. It's weird. The Saints have five primetime games. I believe uh, you know some, the 49ers have five primetime games. They only gave the Bills four primetime games with only one of them being home. And you think, well, that's a major disadvantage or that's the league saying they're not fans. That means the Bills get these one o'clock East Coast games throughout the season as if they're a seven and you know nine team or something that, you know, just way below what they were. That's a real big advantage when you know your home confines and it's not like all day waiting for a game and you can yeah. just roll out and play. Like, I think the Bills are going to be awesome this year. All right. There you go. Uh, flying coach, how many episodes we have left? Five? Got five more. Five more. And then we'll, we, you'll, you'll be back on before, uh, yeah. the season, but yeah, you're we, coming back on Thursdays, million dollar picks. Can, can I, can I just give you my favorite story of flying coach so far, which I think yeah, let's your listeners haven't done it. I mean, it's literally at the end of an hour and a half conversation with Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay says, Cliff, can I tell the Instagram story? And I'm like, all right, what does this mean? And, and Kingsbury is like, all right, go ahead. Sean says, week 17, 2019 season, the Cardinals have been eliminated. The Rams have been eliminated. They both had like just bad seasons. He gets a call from Cliff Kingsbury the morning of the game. And they, the game plans have already been baked in, everything. And McVay never hears from the opposing coach the day of. But these guys are friends for years. 
picks up the phone. He's like, yeah, what's up? He's like, I need two field passes. And McVeigh's like, I don't worry about tickets the day of the game. I'm certainly not worrying about field passes. I've never gotten this request before. Cliff's like, you know, I would not ask you for two field passes if it isn't something that's, you know, something that's important to me. So Sean goes to the highest levels of the Rams organization. He's asking Kevin Demoff, the president. He's asking the number two guy, we got to get two field passes. Well, it's the last game ever in the LA Coliseum. Like, it's just hard at this point to just manufacture that. It got to go through processes. He calls up Cliff. He says, Cliff, why, why is it so important? He goes, yeah, okay, fine, I'll tell you. I met a girl on Instagram, a European Instagram model, and I want to get her on the field, and I've got a date afterwards. <laughs> and McVeigh's like, I'll make it happen. They make it happen. And the joke of the podcast, which I love, is like why you're seeing a different side of these coaches. Uh, McVeigh says, yeah, you know, we won that game. And then Cliff says, yeah, but I won the pregame. And McVeigh ends it with, and probably the postgame too. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. Like, So it's different. Like, we're not talking about the 3-4 scheme. We're not talking about why the backup tight end made a special block. There's a lot of stuff for coaches. It's not quite uh, the same vibe as what Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll did last year, which was awesome. But it's a little bit uh, a side of these guys that you don't get anywhere else. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. So I thank you for even giving us the keys to do it. Awesome. Well, we love we love having you on the ringer, and it's been an awesome podcast to have. Uh, good to see you. I'm sure I'll see you later in the summer. Great stuff. Go Giants. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Mally Rubin is here. She does a lot of things at The Ringer. We've been working together for a long, 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 fruitful time. Uh, Almost a now, decade. Now hosting The Ringerverse podcast or one of the hosts on that. Um, wait, before we get to what I wanted to talk to you about, uh, congratulations on the 12 game, 12 team playoff for college football <laughs> that you've been hoping for, leading you to your dream of eventually a 64 team college football playoff, which I know you've been hoping for. You know, I'm a fan of uh, the ever-expanding postseason format. I, I consider it one of life's inevitabilities and eventualities. <laughs> you know, in Loki, we learned that the timelines are unpredictable. But in college football, we know to always expect expansion. So 
I brought you on to talk about Loki, this new yeah. show. As you know, yeah. I know really nothing about the Marvel Universe. I haven't even seen the Avengers movies. I've just missed it. My, I'm waiting for my but son. You, you were watching all of them. You were doing an MCU watch. I did. What and happened? Then we, right around 2010, we kind of fell off. Um, <laughs> okay. So I wanted you to come on because on Ringerverse, you guys mm-hmm. are breaking down Loki and we can get everything, all the deep, deep dives, deep cuts, everything. This is for the normal people like me who don't know what's going on with these shows. Try to explain Loki to somebody like me to get me to watch who doesn't really know that much about the Marvel Universe. Why would I watch this? Because here's my issue with the Marvel Universe. Now, because all these things are connected in all these different ways. Right. I feel disenfranchised. I just feel like I can't watch this because I don't know the backstory of these other people. And is it possible for somebody like me to just be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to watch Loki. And actually know what's going on. Of course it is. It's never too late to hop aboard the MCU Express. Now, I will say that phase four, which is where we are in the MCU, right? And we're three Disney Plus TV shows in. We've had WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, Loki is the third show. Black Widow is coming out in July, and that will be the first movie of phase four. The first three phases are, of course, as you know, the Infinity Saga. I mean, you're always talking about the Infinity Stones. You're a big soul stone head. We all know how you feel about Vormir and Red Skull. <laughs> Promise you there are people who are laughing at that right now. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know what you were talking about just now, but go ahead. Keep going. So there's a lot of MCU canon and history. And in Loki in particular, because this is a character who is elemental to the first three phases of the MCU... There's a lot of history and a lot of through lines. And of course, the viewing experience will be heightened and enriched if you bring all of that to it. However, there are also, as is true to the spirit of comic book storytellings, plenty of on-ramps and moments where you can start anew. So if you're sitting there saying, what's all this fuss about? Loki looks like a fun show. Should I try it or is it going to be too hard to keep up? There will be moments while you're watching where you're saying, this seems like a lot to track, a lot of characters. What's up with all these timelines? Who are the timekeepers? Why is that person's face blue, etc.? But you get a couple helpful montages and recaps in the mm. premiere that are very effective shorthand to catch you up on Loki's journey in particular. I would also recommend that you head to Disney+. Plus. If you're interested in catching up very quickly and checking out their Legends video recaps that they do, you can watch like a six, seven minute video and get the essence of the Loki experience. And I think you just have to make peace with the fact if you're starting the MCU journey now that there are going to be things that you have to decide basically whether you want to learn more about. But the thing is, there are a lot of different ways to watch these shows and these movies. Sometimes it's about immersing yourself fully in every aspect of the mythology, sometimes you just want the hang. And the thing that I can tell you about Loki is that the vibes are great. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Who's, who's the star of Loki? Tom Hiddleston plays Loki. Tom. And is Didn't he date Taylor wonderful. Swift? Taylor Swift oh, yeah. flame once upon oh, a time? Yeah, yeah famous God. celebrity couple. Owen Wilson, new to the MCU for oh. Loki. He's playing Mobius and... I I, I won't get into too many plot specifics or spoilers from the premiere, but I will just say that one of the most delightful things about the first installment is that a huge, huge amount of the episode, way more than I was expecting, just Owen Wilson, Tom Hiddleston, 
Mobius and Loki sitting at a table in the time theater talking about the nature of life. Choice versus destiny, free will, humanity, the capacity for change, good versus evil. It was like being in a philosophy 101 class inside of a mainstream pop culture experience. And I fucking love that. It was great. And I I actually, you're starting to convince me. There's also, who's the actress who I like from the morning show who's in this? The morning show. Not a show I've seen. Oh, okay. But is it Gugu? Gugu. I haven't seen the morning show. Should I watch the morning show? No. No, you probably shouldn't. I would probably skip it. But I like Gugu, though. Gugu plays Judge Renslayer, and uh, it's very intriguing character. Some very intriguing possibilities about the canon and what's going to ultimately unfold about the TVA and the timekeepers and this idea of the sacred timeline and inside of the MCU. This is basically... That's the other thing that I would, I would throw out as a pitch for you. Mm. It's a, a genre show, and that's one of the things that's really fun about the MCU in general. You have these through lines and these consistent stories and character arcs that build and are really rewarding if you move movie to movie, show to show, year, to, year after year. But there's a lot of variance within the MCU because so many of the stories are crafted to fill a different genre and give you a different vibe. So Loki is going to be based on everything that Kevin Feige and Michael Waldron and Kate Heron and the Marvel team have said based on the trailers, based on what we've seen in the first episode, like time hopping spy thriller action adventure story. And it's also going to be in parallel and harmony with that story of the week. This like deeply moving an existential examination of existence and human connection. And I think that, you know, the best fantasy stories can can grip us so fully because they give you that sort of blend where you ask really profound questions about the choices people make in the way they live and what that means, what the ramifications are on their own life, on other people's lives, maybe on the timeline, maybe on the multiverse itself. And also you get to see in the premiere, and it's in the trailer, so this I don't consider this a spoiler, Loki is D.B. Cooper. Airplane hijack heist. Great stuff. Oh, I like airplane what hijack a blast. heist. That's yeah, so fun. You would love it. All right. It. I, I might watch the first one with my son. My son finished seventh grade today, so he's got plenty of time. Oh, how wonderful. Feel, feels, like, feels like he's... Congrats to could Ben. Could be ready for... It. Yeah, congrats to Ben. Um, when do you think I'll ever see you again? In person? <laughs> yeah, this is the longest we haven't seen each other in like 10 years. Just waiting for you to ask, man. Are you, are you leaving your house yet? I mean, you were afraid of you were afraid of germs before the pandemic. You were wiping <laughs> down doorknobs and yeah. wouldn't come into well, work like if people were sick. Yeah, yeah, you were, I would say, exceptionally cautious. But yeah. now what happens? I would be absolutely delighted to see you as two vaccinated human beings at an outdoor location of your choosing. <laughs> Whenever you would like. You want to screen the Loki premiere outside in your yard? This is Count great. Me in. Wait, so you I get to see you You want me to run you through what every Infinity Stone did or didn't do? I'm there for you. Outdoors. Whenever you'd like. This is great. Count this me in, This is man. great. I don't, yeah. I don't know how long the hug's going to be, but it'll be at least two minutes. But you'll be wearing a hazmat suit, so you won't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be you, emotional to see you again. I, I, are you going to be dressed like an astronaut? What, what are you going to be dressed like? 
You know, I have to be honest. One of the things that I've completely lost a feel for is how to actually dress to be around other people or do anything. I've been wearing pajamas and slippers for 14 and a half months. I might just continue doing that. I don't know. So, I think the best I can do for going outside is joggers. That's like the most I'm willing to commit to. We taped the Goodfellas rewatchables and I wore like pants and a shirt. And the whole time I was thinking like, man, these pants, it's really, really invasive. They're just always thinking about this belt I have on. So then when we did it yesterday, I just wore jogging pants and a t-shirt, told them no video. And it was wonderful. And that's just kind of how I want to roll in life. I just want to wear jogging pants. I'm not prepared to commit to a ton for the future, but I can tell you with something approximating certainty that I will never wear anything without an elastic waistband again. (laughs) Ever. I'm kind of with you. I've worn a belt three times in the last year. And every time I was like, what, what, why did we create these when we had this other alternative, this other universe with elastic waistbands? Wonderful. What were we doing? I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. What's wrong with just being comfortable? T-shirts, jogging pants. Yeah. You know, what's great. Athleisure. I will say one thing that I miss you know, and I, I'm sure Kyle, my my fellow sneaker enthusiast, will agree. I do miss making my way through my sneaker collection. That was a big part of my life pre-pandemic. Trying and to figure I've out what really to wear. Only worn my Adidas slides and Ultra Boost during quarantine. Mm. I switched a couple weeks ago to a, a pair of Space Hippie Fours, which I'm enjoying. But it's been a very long time since I've gone through the sneaker rotation. So that'll be that'll be fun. I look forward to seeing how my. Uh, Air Jordans and Air Max uh, mix with my elastic waistband pajama pants that have donuts and coffee cups on them. Can't wait to test that out in public. (laughs) I'll tell you this. We've done three rewatchables in person. I think we've all talked ourselves into Zoom being -hmm. good because it was kind of a lifesaver, especially for a company like ours. It's like, no, no, Zoom, it's almost, it's just as good. And it's like, it's just not. It's so much better to be in person. It's so much better to just talk about work with two people that are in the same room with you. Um, just to not be on a screen and to actually interact with other humans was really been a delight. Yeah. Zoom has been an incredible gift during this time, but I, I look great. forward to I look forward to being with you all again. I miss you right. dearly. I look forward watch to having Loki. Let yeah, me know I'll what watch you Loki. Think. I look forward to having an outdoor elastic <laughs> pants hug with you at some point for the first time we've seen Me each too. other in 15 months. Mallory, it's thanks for coming great. on. Oh, don't forget to ring reverse. Give yes. us the schedule really quick for people who haven't okay. uh, yes. talked yet. Please, please check out the ring reverse. It is the Nexus podcast feed for all nerd culture and fandom. We're obviously going heavy on Loki and Marvel right now. We also hit on Star Wars, all sorts of nerd culture across that feed. Right now, the schedule is two Loki shows per week. So you can check out the instant reaction Midnight Boys show with Van Lathan and Charles Holmes every Wednesday. They have their instant reaction. You don't have to wait. You can hear from them right away. It's like talking about the show with your friends, arguing about it with your friends right after you watch it. That's Wednesdays. Then come back on Fridays. I will be there with a deeper dive into the themes, the theories that have emerged over the couple days since the episode aired, answering your mailbag questions. Then we do it all again the next week. And hey, if a new Marvel trailer drops, something else happens in the nerdverse, come back to the ringerverse. We'll be there for you. So we created this feed, which has been successful, anticipating a world where these things are going to be coming fast and furious, which is 
feels like that's a couple months away from all of a sudden we will Fast be and locked, furious. Another thing we'll be loaded. covering on on Ringerverse. <laughs> Is that so? That's a Ringerverse. That's well, a Ringerverse IP. It's on, Fast so and it's, Furious. It's it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting case study, but. And I should I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm currently watching the Fast movies for the first time ever. What an mm. experience! Oh my, oh my goodness! God. Well, I, I mean, finally have met Han. My life is forever altered after the James, meeting Han. The James Bond of our generation. Incredible stuff. A lot of the fantasy themes, you know, the family you choose, part yeah. of that story, and also, as I understand it, I'm still catching up. They kind of become superheroes, right? So yeah. there's a big fandom culture and community around the movies. The Midnight Boys will be there for you. Will they drive a car from one building into another or off of a dock into a boat? Those are things that I am currently aware happen in those movies. Who can say? Tune in to find out. Follow us on Spotify. You how many how many Fast and Furious are you through? Uh, I watched Tokyo Drift last weekend, so I'm I'm early in my journey still. Oh, okay. Three. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll be interested after. After a certain, tell me when you're when you're done because I okay. I have some questions. All right, Mallory, great to see you as always. Great to see you too. All right, that's it for the podcast. We're back Sunday night with uh, Rosillo. I don't know if we're doing the part one, part two gimmick. We'll see how the playoff games go. Uh, but I will see you on Sunday night, either with a full pot or with a part one and a part two. Have a good weekend.